welcome to the Chapman CG Podcast, inspiring and informative conversations with top HR leaders from around the world. If you ask any business leader, they will tell you that diversity is integral to an organization's ongoing innovation and global success. Yet so many organizations struggle to make diversity and inclusion more than a corporate mandate that makes everyone feel uncomfortable and afraid of saying anything that could lead to sensitivity training. Ricardo Subdio, Head of Talent and Performance Management and HR for Headquarters at AP Mollemersk, um, is with me today to discuss the future of diversity and inclusion and the profile of uh, Mersk's best diversity and inclusion leaders. Um, Ricardo, I really appreciate you joining us today. How, how are things for you in Denmark? Uh, thanks very much, Matt. They are, things are quite nice. You know, it's fall, so it's quite beautiful up here now. Oh, that's good. So the uh, the sun is still shining. The winter hasn't uh, set in yet. I guess it's only um, beginning of uh, October now, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Ricardo, um, take us through your uh, career background before we uh, talk a little bit about the role you, you have at Maersk at the moment. Uh, sure, Matt. Um, so I'm originally from a place called Guyana in South America of Indian and African background, but I um, went to university in the U.S., and I've worked in uh, in New York for uh, Fortune magazine for a number of years, and then joined uh, ING Group in the U.S. Um, ING is a big uh, bank, financial services company, insurance as well. So I worked for ING for a bit in strategy and M&A, and then moved with them uh, to Amsterdam to set up uh, their internal business school. And after that, I um, had the opportunity to go out to Asia, based out of Hong Kong, looking after talent management and leadership development for the whole Asian region. Then did a brief stint in Australia, uh, working with a head of HR there on executive comp and BEM. And then um, back to Amsterdam uh, for ING, then heading up you know, talent management, leadership development, uh, engagement, uh, performance management, et cetera, for insurance businesses. And then two years ago, I joined uh, Mars Care in uh, Copenhagen in a similar type of role. So that must be seven, eight locations you've lived in? Yes, about, uh, indeed, indeed. And how does Copenhagen uh, compare to uh, to those other places? Oh, Copenhagen is very nice, you see. It's a very uh, pleasant place. It's a very peaceful city um, and great, uh, you know, quality of life, uh, good work-life balance. Uh, so it's it's um, probably not as hectic in, uh, as New York or Hong Kong, but it is um, very, very charming. So tell us a bit about your, your, your current role. So you're heading talent performance, and you've also got the, uh, the HR mandate for, for headquarters, so a few different hats there. Yeah, indeed. So it's sort of um, you know having a center of excellence um, overlook, as well as having some um, roots in the business in terms of the HR business partnering part. Um, but the main part of the role is looking at the, you know, succession management in terms of the bench strength for senior leadership teams. So that takes up a lot of my time, obviously looking after the global processes on performance management, engagement. And in that is also diversity and inclusion, which is a very important topic on our agenda here at Musk. So tell us, um, tell us how important diversity and inclusion is for organizations that want to remain competitive in sort of today and I guess tomorrow's uh, marketplace. I think it's uh, critical um, on on a number of angles. And when we look at diversity, right, it's a number of things. Obviously, there's the gender diversity that we look at. There is the nationality diversity we look at. And also, diversity of thought. 
people with different profiles, different backgrounds, uh, that can bring different perspectives. So I think the issue in terms of uh, diversity of thought is very important. And, and critical to all of this is that we have an inclusive culture. We have an environment uh, and leadership that is able to manage the difference, that is able to create the right atmosphere and climate where different people uh, can come and feel they can contribute their best. So at the moment, we are running a lot of training around understanding our own unconscious bias and then how do we create a more inclusive environment. We operate in over uh, 130 countries, so you would think this is something we know how to do uh, very well. Uh, but I think it's a journey and something we can uh, still continue to do better. And so take us a little bit more into um, you know some of that um, training that's been done on areas such as you know the unconscious um, bias um, and how um, I guess the diversity and inclusion um, mandate is being um, implemented um, internally at Merck. Sure. So we've ran some training specifically in the HR function and understanding our biases when it comes to talent management. For example, when you have a number of Western leaders looking and evaluating Asian talents, you know, what are their inherent biases? For example, one of the things that always comes up are Asian talents, um, you know, maybe are too humble. They don't speak up and challenge enough, for example. And I think that's uh, certainly a Western bias. Uh, so we look at that. We look at it in terms of our recruitment processes, um, training our recruiters how to spot their own biases um, when they look at candidates. Uh, some some studies and experiments, not within MERS but outside, have shown, for example, that uh, just the name of a candidate can already disqualify them. For example, if someone have a Muslim name, the chances of them getting a, a role is sometimes um, diminished. So uh, you know, so you have all these uh, things playing in the background. Uh, so that's, uh, and also doing leadership training for our leaders to understand this as well, um, more so from how they build an inclusive environment uh, for, for different people. So that's one. Um, the other, I think, important progress we've made here is to get the leadership commitment. Um, so our leaders are very, very committed to, for example, hiring uh, more women and, and people with different nationalities. So when we have, uh, for example, use a service of someone like yourself or external search partners, we now ask them to please make sure all of the candidate slates do come back uh, with at least a woman or a diverse candidate on there. So our, our, our search partners have really felt a lot more pressure from us in this area. And even internally, we are challenging ourselves. But most of, um, most of the say, uh, recruitment now we're doing, we are really putting a lot of emphasis on this. And you talked about uh, MERS being across 130 countries. Uh, take us through, you know, what you've seen in the differences uh, regarding approaches um, across, you know, different different parts of the world. Because I think looking at it from a headquarter perspective into so many markets, um, you must glean an interesting perspective. Yeah, sure. Um, and it's not just the, the national cultures or the regional cultures which are different. I mean... Uh, MERSC have about eight different business units, um, and in each of those business units, you will find different also cultural elements as well in terms of the emphasis of the strategies. But from a, a national perspective, I mean, there is, a, you know, there are differences, but at the same time, there are a lot of similarities. I think we are very 
high-performing culture, and I think we are a very, very execution-driven organization. And I think that is something you will find in common in most people all over the world, wherever they might be. I think that's one thing that really um, characterizes this organization. Another thing is in our selection processes, you know, we do have certain personality profiles we hire against. There is certainly uh, uh, LI uh, scores, which is around, you know, your cognitive ability. Uh, there is a threshold there where people have to take to come in. So you find smart people who are very execution-driven. Um, now, that being said, I think those are the common things. It is then becomes sometimes a challenge when you are moving people around from different parts of the world. For example, when you bring some colleagues, you know, whether it's Asia to, um, to Europe or North America, we have to give them support to understand uh, the national culture and norms. And likewise, when we take people from Europe into the Middle East, so one of the things we have done now is for all expat assignments, we give culture uh, awareness training, especially in the in new countries where people are going into. I think this will help people integrate better and understand the norms better. So what, have you noticed any difference in the approach of um, sort of European and um, American employers in handling diversity and inclusion? At the risk of uh, generalizing too much, you know, I think in the U.S., certainly, um, you know, it's it's. I think it's more fluent to address diversity in America. There's a lot more immigration in America. It's a country built by immigrants and of immigrants. So you have a lot more, um, I think, natural diversity in the U.S., uh, a bit more openness. It's been a topic that has been on the agenda with the civil rights movement, etc. So I think in the U.S., there's a bit more fluency on that. Um, uh, than in Europe. Um, I think over, not to say that there is a problem in Europe, but I think in Europe um, there's still some ways to go. So looking across, um, you know, and I guess with your knowledge of diversity and inclusion, what do you think have been some of the stumbling blocks in, you know, organizations, um, particularly traditional organizations, implementing meaningful diversity and inclusion strategies? I think one of the big stumbling, just critical mass. I think when you have, um, you know, team environments where you do have a strong dominant cultural norm, you will find issues. I mean, you know, um, for example, you know, putting in a European colleague in a team in uh, Dubai, for example, where 98% of the team, you know, were, were Indians. Everybody was speaking Hindi with each with everyone else, and and the European colleague felt a bit excluded from that. So um, you know this appears also vice versa. Uh, you know we've had Indian people come to Copenhagen where they have felt excluded because the people around them, um, for example, didn't speak uh, English as much and and spoke their their uh, local language. Uh, so just from a, a simple matter like that, to feel uh, included and part of the team is. Um, is a challenge uh, generally. Um, so I think, you know, when we get more accustomed to having greater numbers of people moving around and more diverse teams, then I think it, it will lead to more openness. And have you seen any characteristics of um, leadership teams in successful organizations um, from a diversity and inclusion perspective? I mean, there's some people say that, you know, for organizations to be truly uh, d diverse and inclusive, um, it needs to start from the top. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, um, you know, the tone of the set, the role model of the set at the top is uh, very, very important. And I think that's when you see diversity really succeed in that it is not seen just as an HR initiative that is being driven, but that the management really sees the value of it and is committed to it. Um, I think that's where you see a big difference. So looking at the actual diversity inclusion role, and you know, we often get pulled into doing diversity inclusion searches across the world. What's your view on the on the profile of an of an ideal diversity and inclusion expert or leader? I mean, I think you know, uh, someone who is action oriented, someone who's who's done there, someone who has traveled and seen you know different parts of the world and have some grounding in terms of 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 personal experience around diversity is is very important. And I think someone who is results-oriented in terms of you know, what are the outcomes we're trying to drive, because I've seen a lot of diversity and inclusion people who are very much on the DNI processes and toolkits rather than what are the outcomes they're really driving in the organization, practical outcomes. So finishing up, Ricardo, looking into the future, how much do you think diversity and inclusion is going to shape, I guess, the HR agenda uh, of companies um, for the future? I think it will continue to be an important part of the agenda. I mean, certainly as, uh, you know, our labor force become more global and international. Um, so I think it will continue to be an important part of the agenda. Um, I, I see it continue to grow. And do you see any particular trends uh, being more, more prevalent? I think the cultural aspect of diversity in terms of understanding our unconscious bias, understanding how do we create more inclusive environment will continue to grow. So that's what I call the... Um, you know, the inner part of diversity, so diversity of perspective as well, is very important. There's the outer part of this of diversity, which is very, uh, you know, clear to see like the gender issue or nationality. But I think we'll see increasing trend to looking at diversity of thought. And that was Ricardo uh, Sugdeo, head of talent and performance and HR at headquarters at AP Mollemers, working on diversity and inclusion. For more excellent conversations from Chapman CG, follow our podcast series or check us out at chapmancg.com.